Book seven, chapters one to three of ten books on architecture. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Frederick Carlson. Ten books on architecture by Vitruvius. Translated by Morris Hickey Morgan. Chapter one. Floors. One. First I shall begin with the concrete flooring, which is the most important of the polished finishings, observing that great pains and the utmost precaution must be taken to ensure its durability. If this concrete flooring is to be laid level with the ground, let the soil be tested to see whether it is everywhere solid, and if it is, level it off and upon it lay the broken stone with its bedding. But if the floor is either wholly or partly filling, it should be rammed down hard with great care. In case a wooden framework is used, however, we must see that no wall which does not reach up to the top of the house is constructed under the floor. Any wall which is there should preferably fall short, so as to leave the wooden planking above it an unsupported span. If a wall comes up solid, the unyielding nature of its solid structure must, when the joists begin to dry or to sag and settle, lead to cracks in the floor on the right and left along the line of the wall. 2. We must also be careful that no common oak gets in with the winter oak boards, for as soon as common oak boards get damp, they warp and cause cracks in floors. But if there is no winter oak, and necessity drives, for lack of this it seems advisable to use common oak boards cut pretty thin, for the less thick they are, the more easily they can be held in place by being nailed on. Then, at the end of every joist, nail on two boards that they shall not be able to warp and stick up at the edges. As for turkey oak, or beech, or ash, none of them can last to a great age. When the wooden planking is finished, cover it with fern, if there is any, otherwise with straw, to protect the wood from being hurt by the lime. 3. Then, upon this lay the bedding, composed of stones not smaller than can fill the hand, after the bedding is laid, mix the broken stone in the proportion, if it is new, of three parts to one of lime, if it is old material used again, five parts may answer to two in the mixture. Next, lay the mixture of broken stone, bring on your gangs, and beat it again and again with wooden beetles into a solid mass, and let it be not less than three quarters of a foot in thickness when the beating is finished. On this lay the nucleus, consisting of pounded tile mixed with lime in the proportions of three parts to one, and forming a layer not less than six digits thick. On top of the nucleus, the floor, whether made of cut slips or of cubes, should be well and truly laid by rule and level. 4. After it is laid and set at the proper inclination, let it be rubbed down so that, if it consists of cut slips, the lozenges, or triangles, or squares, or hexagons, may not stick up at different levels, but be all jointed together on the same plane with one another, if it is laid in cubes so that all the edges may be level, for the rubbing down will not be properly finished unless all edges are on the same level plane. The herringbone pattern made of tibber burned brick must also be carefully finished so as to be without gaps or ridges sticking up, but all flat and rubbed down to rule. When the rubbing down is completely finished by means of the smoothing and polishing processes, sift powdered marble on top and lay on a coating of lime and sand. 5. In the open air, specially adapted kinds of floor must be made, because their framework, swelling with dampness or shrinking from dryness, or sagging and settling, injures the floors by these changes. 
Besides, the frost and rime will not let them go unhurt. Hence, if necessity drives, we must proceed as follows in order to make them as free from defects as possible. After finishing the plank flooring, lay a second plank flooring over it at right angles, and nail it down so as to give double protection to the framework. Then mix with new broken stone one-third the quantity of pounded tile, and let lime be added to the mixture in the mortar trough in the proportion of two parts to five. 6. Having made the bedding, lay on this mixture of broken stone, and let it be not less than a foot thick when the beating is finished. Then, after laying the nucleus, as above described, construct the floor of large cubes, cut about two digits each way, and let it have an inclination of two digits for every ten feet. If it is well put together and properly rubbed down, it will be free from all flaws. In order that the mortar in the joints may not suffer from frosts, drench it with oil dregs every year before winter begins. Thus treated, it will not let the hoar-frost enter it. 7. If, however, it seems needful to use still greater care, lay two-foot tiles, jointed together in a bed of mortar, over the broken stone, with little channels of one finger's breadth cut into the faces of all the joints. Connect these channels, and fill them with a mixture of lime and oil, then rub the joints hard, and make them compact. Thus, the lime sticking in the channels will harden and solidify into a mass, and so prevent the water or anything else from penetrating through the joints. After this layer is finished, spread the nucleus upon it, and work it down by beating it with rods. Upon this lay the floor, at the inclination above described, either of large cubes or burnt brick and herringbone pattern, and floors thus constructed will not soon be spoiled. Chapter 2 the slaking of lime for stucco. 1. Leaving the subject of floors, we must next treat of stucco work. This will be all right if the best lime, taken in lumps, is slaked a good while before it is to be used, so that if any lump has not been burned long enough in the kiln, it will be forced to throw off its heat during the long course of slaking in the water, and will thus be thoroughly burned to the same consistency. When it is taken not thoroughly slaked but fresh, it has little crude bits concealed in it, and so, when applied, it blisters. When such bits complete their slaking after they are on the building, they break up and spoil the smooth polish of the stucco. 2. But when the proper attention has been paid to the slaking, and greater pains have thus been employed in the preparation for the work, take a hoe and apply it to the slaked lime in the mortar bed, just as you hew wood. If it sticks to the hoe in bits, the lime is not yet tempered, and when the iron is drawn out dry and clean, it will show that the lime is weak and thirsty. But when the lime is rich and properly slaked, it will stick to the tool like glue, proving that it is completely tempered. Then get the scaffolding ready, and proceed to construct the vaultings in the rooms unless they are to be decorated with flat coffered ceilings. Chapter 3. Vaultings and Stucco Work 1. When vaulting is required, the procedure should be as follows. Set up the horizontal furring strips at intervals of not more than two feet apart, using preferably cypress, as fur is soon spoiled by decay and by age. Arrange these strips so as to form a curve, and make them fast to the joist of the floor above or to the roof, if it is there, by nailing them with many iron nails to ties fixed at intervals. These ties should be made of a kind of wood that neither decay nor time nor dampness can spoil, such as box, juniper, olive, 
oak, cypress, or any other similar wood except common oak, for this warps and causes cracks in work in which it is used. 2. Having arranged the furring strips, take cord made of Spanish broom and tie Greek reeds previously pounded flat to them in the required contour. Immediately above the vaulting spread some mortar made of lime and sand to check any drops that may fall from the joist or from the roof. If a supply of Greek reed is not to be had, gather slender marsh reeds and make them up with silk cord into bundles all of the same thickness and adjusted to the proper length, provided that the bundles are not more than two feet long between any two knots. Then tie them with cord to the beams, as above described, and drive wooden pegs into them. Make all the other preparations as above described. 3. Having thus set the vaultings in their places and interwoven them, apply the rendering coat to their lower surface. Then lay on the sand mortar, and afterwards polish it off with the powdered marble. After the vaultings have been polished, set the imposed mouldings directly beneath them. These obviously ought to be made extremely slender and delicate, for when they are large, their weight carries them down, and they cannot support themselves. Gypsum should by no means be used in their composition, but powdered marble should be laid on uniformly, lest gypsum, by setting too quickly, should keep the work from drying uniformly. We must also beware of the ancients' scheme for vaultings, for in their mouldings the soffits overhang very heavily and are dangerous. 4. Some mouldings are flat, others in relief. In rooms where there has to be a fire or a good many lights, they should be flat, so that they can be wiped off more easily. In summer apartments and in exedry, where there is no smoke nor soot to hurt them, they should be made in relief. If it is always the case that stucco, in the pride of its dazzling white, gathers smoke not only from its own house but also from others. 5. Having finished the mouldings, apply a very rough rendering coat to the walls, and afterwards, when the rendering coat gets pretty dry, spread upon it the layers of sand mortar, exactly adjusted in length to rule and line, in height to the plummet, and at the angles to the square. The stucco will thus present a faultless appearance for paintings. When it gets pretty dry, spread on a second coat and then a third. The better the foundation of sand mortar that is laid on, the stronger and more durable in its solidity will be the stucco. 6. When not less than three coats of sand mortar, besides the rendering coat, have been laid on, then we must make the mixture for the layers of powdered marble, the mortar being so tempered that when mixed it does not stick to the trowel, but the iron comes out freely and clean from the mortar trough. After this powdered marble has been spread on and gets dry, lay on a medium second coat. When that has been applied and well rubbed down, spread on a finer coat. The walls, being thus rendered solid by three coats of sand mortar and as many of marble, will not possibly be liable to cracks or to any other defect. 7. And further, such walls, owing to the solid foundation given by thorough working with polishing instruments and the smoothness of it, due to the hard and dazzling white marble, will bring out in brilliant splendor the colors which are laid on at the same time with the polishing. These colors, when they are carefully laid on stucco still wet, do not fade, but are permanent. 
This is because the lime, having had its moisture burned out in the kiln, becomes porous and loses its strength, and its dryness makes it take up anything that may come in contact with it. On mixing with the seeds or elements that come from other substances, it forms a solid mass with them, and no matter what their constituent parts may then be, it must, obviously, on becoming dry, possess the qualities which are peculiar to its own nature. Hence, stucco that is properly made does not get rough as time goes on, nor lose its colours when it is wiped off, unless they have been laid on with little care and after it is dry. So, when the stucco on walls is made as described above, it will have strength and brilliancy and an excellence that will last to a great age. But when only one coat of sand mortar and one of fine marble had been spread on, its thin layer is easily cracked from want of strength, and from its lack of thickness it will not take on the brilliance due to polishing which it ought to have. 9. Just as a silver mirror that is formed of a thin plate reflects indistinctly and with a feeble light, while one that is substantially made can take on a very high polish and reflects a brilliant and distinct image when one looks therein, so it is with stucco. When the stuff of which it is formed is thin, it not only cracks but also soon fades. When, however, it has a solid foundation of sand mortar and of marble, thickly and compactly applied, it is not only brilliant after being subjected to repeated polishings, but also reflects from its surface a clear image of the beholder. 10. The Greek stucco worker not only employ these methods to make their works durable, but also construct a mortar trough, mix the lime and sand in it, bring on a gang of men, and beat stuff with wooden beetles, and do not use it until it has been thus vigorously worked. Hence some cut slabs out of old walls and use them as panels, and the stucco of such panels and reflectors has projecting beveled edges all round it. 11. But if stucco has to be made on a wattle and daub, there has to be cracks at the uprights and cross sticks, because they must take in moisture when they are daubed with the mud, and cause cracks in the stucco when they dry and shrink, the following method will prevent this from happening. After the whole wall has been smeared with the mud, nail rows of reeds to it by means of fly-nails, then spread on the mud a second time, and if the first rows have been nailed with the shaft transfers, nail on a second set with the shafts vertical, and then, as above described, spread on the sand-mortar, the marble, and the whole mass of stucco. Thus, the double series of reeds with their shafts crossing on the walls will prevent any chipping or cracking from taking place. End of Book 7, Chapter 3